Really excited about this week's podcast. Dr. Mac is back on the microphone and why people struggle to lose fat. Struggling to lose fat, Macca will chat about why you're not losing weight, how you can lose weight, and how you can live a healthier lifestyle. Because let's be honest, summer's coming. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. Hey team, welcome to Body Science HQ, the world of fit, happy, healthy. And we're going to throw a little why people struggle to lose fat 101 in right now. Got the man in the house, Professor Chris McClellan. Go great. Hey mate, before we go into why people struggle to lose fat, just give us a little bit of background on you so people should stop and actually listen to this podcast. For those who are new to the Body Science podcast series, uh, we've done a fair <laughs> few, right? I think this is our 13th podcast together, which yeah. is awesome. Covered a lot of territory. So my background is, uh, as you said, I, I'm a professor <laughs> of exercise, sports science stuff. My background is most around endocrinology. Mm-hmm. So my PhD was in hormonal function, biochemistry, immunology, and physiology, mm-hmm. adaptations of athletes to exercise and training and things like that. But my key areas of interest are around hormones and how they work within the body with training and diet and, and supplements and that whole thing. And you so, love the industry. Like, like people yeah, I've been around a long time, maybe. worked in strength and conditioning at elite level around the world. You know, I'm a physio by trade as well, although I try and avoid that. And uh, I know, I've asked you a few things. You were very... <laughs> yeah, uh, and so... Putting the doctor in front of you was a good idea because you were not sympathetic to what I needed to know. No. Well, you had a lot going on. But yeah, so that's my background. You know, 25 years experience in in high performance. You know, I've been in academia for a long time, 15 years. And as I said, I've I've got some qualifications behind me. So I practice what I preach. I train seven days a week. I'm in the gym. That's what we do. Love it. You do a fair bit with one of the federations too, don't you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm closely associated. A good friend of mine is the the boss of the WBFF, yep. um, Mr. Ari Hamelain. And so, yeah, I, I've- Shout out to Ari. Shout out to Ari and the crew, the WBFF comp coming up in about five weeks, actually. Yep. But I also have great links with the IFBB and the IFBB Pro League and those the, those federations as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have an active interest in physique competition and preparation for physique comp across bodybuilding, you know, bikini, fitness figure, the whole lot. So, and that, that's my, you know, I do a lot of that now interaction with with mainly coaches you know a lot of coaches come to me with some questions more so than athletes i don't prep people that's not what i do sometimes i can just provide a different perspective on on things around you know, whether it's uh, someone struggling, this is a great example. Someone's sort of hit a plateau, they can't lose fat. The other thing in that industry that's huge and has been huge for a while is, you know, the, the post-competition recovery, if you will, you yeah. know, reverse dieting and, and why people, you know, dieting, you know, is is something that is ingrained in society, right? Yeah. A lot of people want to lose body fat and, you know, we see crash diets. We know that crash diets don't work. We know that people, 80% of people or more will, will regain all of the fat that they lost and then some. So and so we'll get to that in a minute because there's actually a you know an established mechanism by which that happens, and we now know we un- we understand that a lot more. And so you know, I can give you a, a bit of information about some research that's happened around that, <clears throat> and that's really important because the body adjusts. And I, I want to cover off on a thing called you know this this sat- fat set point, which is which is really common so as well. Body fat set point. Yeah, yep. yeah. And there's there's reactive uh, thermogenesis and metabolic adaptation. And so I see people who either struggle to lose fat or lose a ton of muscle when they lose fat because they we know that you have to be calorically depleted or restricted and so the trade-off there is well can I lose fat can I keep all my muscle when I'm prepping for a show and that's where you want to be and we talk about you know there's there's beach lean 
you know, there's six pack on the beach, yep. feeling good about yourself. And then there's on stage peeled. Yes. And they're two very, very different approaches. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's ever done a competition knows exactly what I'm talking about. So the idea today was just on the back of a lot of questions I get, and I'm sure you get them as well. You know, people kind of need some clarity around some of those mechanisms. Absolutely. And I figure we can just go through it. We can talk in really general terms because I think there's some pretty simple take-home messages that are common sense. And everyone will go, yeah, well, that makes good sense. Mm-hmm. And then again, thinking mechanistically, you know, we can dig into it. And, and I'm talking mainly about thyroid function because it is an enormous body of information that is really, really complicated that I can try and simplify. I don't want to oversimplify it though because it is complicated. So yep. we talk about thyroid function, hypothalamus, you know, pretty much drives everything. And then there's a couple of hormones that are really key <clears throat> to why the body responds the way it does. And that the main one in this space is leptin. We know leptin comes from body fat, right? So, you know, they're, they're, these things are all interrelated. You know, the amount of body fat you have will impact on the amount of leptin that's circulating, the amount of leptin that's circulating. It's very unfair, I'm told. Yeah. And so, you know, if I can give people a little bit of clarity around that, yep. then I think we're doing okay. Okay, well, let's rip in. Let's get back to body yeah. fat set point. Yeah, so undeniably, right, talk to anybody who who works in this space or talk to anyone who's ever done a competition in their life or is trying to lose fat. The undeniable reality is that you have, you have to have consistency, right? And so I think this is where people go wrong or find it difficult in that people can generally commit to a finite period of time. They mm-hmm. go, I'm going to do a challenge. I'm going to do that for six weeks. I'm going to train six days a week. I'm going to do all these things. And then they get to that six weeks and they've lost body fat or whatever they've done. They've achieved their goal. And then it's like this celebration where they binge Fuck, eat for the next- in. Let's rip in. Yeah. Let's have all the pizzas and yeah. burgers that we didn't have for the last Boom. six weeks. Then they go, oh, holy smokes, I've put on all that fat and I just put on another three kilos. Yep. How does that work? Yeah. Right, And that's absolutely going to happen. And that's going to happen because your adipose tissue will, will responds. And, and I'll talk you through that. So that's the key, right? You've got to be consistent. And that kind of all leads into this, this big conversation around you've got to have a clear perspective of where you are in the world. And by that, I mean, we talk about basal metabolic rate. We talk about resting metabolic rate. There's all these other things. There's the NEAT, you know, the non-exercise caloric expenditure, for example. There's exercise energy expenditure. There's a whole range of that that all contribute to your total daily energy expenditure. And you've done podcasts on this with, I think Harriet did one on this a little while ago as well, right? So that's nothing new. We know about that. So I'm all, I'd say to people, you've got to have a starting point. You've got to know where you are. And that's where invariably guesswork will get you in trouble all the time, right? So you might want to work with a coach or a trainer or a PT, whoever it might be. But what you need is, and there's lots of calculations out there that will give you an accurate measure of where you are in the world from a BMR perspective. And it's, they're based on things like gender, height, uh, age, and weight. And so it's a calculation you can start off with, right? I hear horror stories, mainly girls that might be eating 800 calories a day. They're doing two hours a day on a treadmill and I just am mortified. That's not living people. It's absolutely not. There is a difference between BMR and RMR. And so BMR for basal metabolic rate, that's that's the amount of energy, I suppose, just to keep the lights on. So the process for normal breathing, you know, circulation, temperature regulation, et cetera, in a rested state. So that the RMR, so your resting metabolic rate also will it will include things like energy expended by, expended by digestion, non-exercise daily movements, and things like that. So there's a, there is a little bit of a difference. They are used interchangeably, but they are slightly different. So you have to have an accurate caloric intake in place, right? So you need to know. This is another thing, actually, and just 
jumped into my mind. When you do a meal plan, right, people map out macros, right? Yep. Everyone's talking about hitting their macros and, and you've got to hit your macros and if it fits your macros and all that stuff, right? So there's no question that you need to do that. You've got to remember when that's working that, you know, packaged food, right? Packaged food, there's about a 20% variability of caloric content in food with packaged foods. 20%? Up to 20%, okay. right? So there's that's pretty decent error yeah. straight off the, off the bat, right? So if you're eating all packeted foods, you've got to anticipate there's going to be a level of variability versus fresh fruit and, fruit and veg, <clears throat> you know, your proteins and whatever it might be. So if you're eating out of a packet, I'm not, look, I hate meal prep. Don't get me wrong. I'm the world, worst meal prepper in the world. Can't cook, don't like it. I'm not interested. I mean, there's a lot of foodies out there who love doing their meal prep on a Sunday afternoon, block off three hours of their day. Can't think of anything worse, right? It's not my thing. But just you got, just got to keep that in mind, right? The tip is, you know, a, a best guess won't work. You're going to have to weigh your food, right? Ultimately, if you want to be really precise, and a lot of people's eyes will just roll over in the back of their head and go, I'm not doing that, right? Now, it again, there's there's two different ways of looking at this. There's the people that, that just want to reduce their body fat, and then mm-hmm. there's people who want to get on stage. If you want to get on stage, you've got to commit, right? So you've got to, you've, you're going to have to weigh your food, you're going to have to measure it, you're going to have to, you know, plan out your meals, and you, it, it's a commitment, right? But it's the same if you want to just lose fat. If it's just a guess and it's random and, you know, you're okay Monday through Friday and then Saturday, Sunday, you go crazy and binge eat, that's not going to work. You're going to go nowhere. So you're going to have to track your calories and you're going to have to track your intake. And that's more easily done with help. And that's why people get a coach. It makes them accountable. It helps with their check-ins. And you hear this a lot in the industry. It's pretty popular now. I'm I'm all about, I love the face-to-face interaction. I know online coaching is huge, but even, you know, if you're looking at someone in this room right now versus if you're on Zoom or Skype with me, the lighting and so forth, it's not the same. So I, I don't do online anything for me it's face to face anyway so you've got to have you're going to have to track and and plan your meals and prep your meals right or have someone prep them for you where you know what's in it because it's really easy to overeat by mistake but it's equally really easy to undereat by mistake as well so there's there's a real commitment there and the whole flexible dieting thing macros and all that you know great in concept for me i could eat the same thing every meal every day for the rest of my life wouldn't worry me one bit but some people like a lot more variability with that and the whole flexibility thing the the, the flexible dieting of which i'm a i'm an advocate i think it's a great concept you've still got to have a plan you know and you've still whether you're flexibly dieting or whether you're much more structured it's structured flexibility yep. that's the way i look at it so it's for me that's more about exchanging foods it's turkey instead of chicken it's something instead of you know it's not five mars bars instead of a steak <clears throat> you know and i don't think it was ever designed to justify eating ice cream for breakfast i think everyone knows that and that was a really you know oversimplification of what the whole iifym or whatever you know macros. Yeah, i mean because everyone goes people think a calorie is a calorie it, it's not right you know, you know for example if you're having a calorie of fat and a calorie of sugar there is an absolute variation that occurs in hormonal adaptation that's actually a really smart way to put it i've never heard it explained so simply yeah, so that I mean that's just yeah. the case, right? So you've got to you've got to keep that in mind. And so I'm I'm always trying to keep things as simple as you possibly can. When it comes to losing fat, and I'm on a huge rant here, but I always say to people, find things that have the least impact on your day to day. So because if I say to you, Greg, you're gonna have to train on the treadmill twice a day, you're gonna have you can't have you can't have any more of the foods you really like, you've got to train in the gym four times a week, you've got to do this, you've got to drink five liters of water, you know, you can't have more than one coffee 
off your day. You're just going to go. All good to Friday. Forget about it, right? Come Saturday. <clears throat> yeah. But if I said to you, you know what? I'm just going to get you to clean up your diet. I'm just going to, you know, when you have your omelet in the morning and, and you might have five whole eggs in your omelet, just drop two yolks out. And instead of having milk in there, have almond milk or whatever it might be, right? So you're still having your omelet. If you can taste the difference between a, a five egg whole egg omelet and a three whole egg and two whites, then you're doing pretty well, right? Yeah. So that's what I say to people. Just the stage one is clean up your diet. And and that, that can have an immediate impact, right? You're still going to have to track things you know, keep it nice and simple. People have emotional attachments to food. I'm sure you see this a lot. And that's a big problem. That's part of a really, really complicated conversation around eating disorders and disordered eating. Because yep. right? okay. you can have disordered eating and not have an eating disorder. You know, you might have a, uh, I don't know, you might have a some sort of emotional attachment to whatever, you know, your go-to, whatever it might be, chocolate, whatever it might be, right? So that complicates things. But I'm all about minimizing things rather than excluding things. Because yeah. if I say you cannot oh, exactly. do something, you, you say, yeah, okay, you'll do it. You might do it for five days. Yeah. You might even get through a month, but eventually you'll go back and do whatever you want because yeah. it gets boring, right? The other thing I say to people is, okay, so meal prep by yourself or someone else who you trust and you know what's going in there is a must. I always say to people, don't get hungry and never shop when you're hungry, right? I don't know if anyone's ever been to Coles when you're starving. It's a bad look, right? Because you go, yeah, I'm going to smash that, that, that. And you walk out with $300 worth of groceries you know that you should never have bought. But anyway, so that's- and they have some very intelligent people making sure you do of course, that too. Right? Yeah. But, you know, product placement is a is a yeah, art, right? Exactly. It's a science, actually. So, and I say to people, you know, pack for emergencies, right? So, particularly, and the meal preppers of the world and the people who have competed know exactly what I mean. It might just mean a pack of body science birthday cake balls in how, your bag. How good are they? How, they're about as good quietly, as it gets. They're as good mate. as yeah, absolutely. Get, yeah. It might be the cookies and cream, whatever it might be. It's it's your go-to emergency so that you don't, you know, find yourself, you know, you've got to drive back in a service station in a servo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And even in a servo, you know, do you love some, a good sausage roll, though, mate. Well, you can. Can you make do a diet it. one? I don't think they do, do they? <laughs> do they make a low GI sausage roll? You know, that's where your beef jerkies come in, yeah. right? So there are some Absolutely, choices yeah. in servos where you can you can actually make some decent choices without you know walking out with chocolate milk and a pie. Chocolate milk and a pie. Yeah, that I've talked good. about eating. You know, I don't want to get into the eating disorders things because I think that's a, a really specialised area. And mate, how, um, can we can we tap on one bit there? What are the things people need? To, people yeah. need to look out for. Like if you've got an eating disorder, you go see a dietitian or a doctor yeah. or some medical practice. Well, you hope what are the things what are the things to look out for though to go, oh wow, I, I I've got a disorder. Like Oh, I think just unhealthy preoccupations with food and obsession and what, obsessive behaviors. So for example, I'll give you an example. Are you talking about denying you ate the chocolate yet eating chocolate every day, that type of thing when you're in conversation? No, no, I'm talking no. about let's say you go out to dinner. Yep. Right. The person you're having dinner with orders a burger, right? And then pulls out a set of scales, deconstructs the burger, has a quarter of the patty, has a half of the lettuce has half of the bun and weighs that. Now, look, if they're deep into a comp prep and they really want that, then you would go, okay, I kind of get it. But if if you say to that person, hypothetically, are you prepping for a comp? And they go, no, I do this every day. You know, to me, that's a little bit over the top. I don't know if that's a thing that you see a lot, but I would think that's pretty over the top. Tough gig gig dating these days. Super tough, right? (laughs) People even date anymore? I don't even know. So so that's the thing, mate. Like if you're you're at that level and you're not in a comp and you're, you're that extreme yeah go and talk to I think extreme behaviors obsessive behaviors you know just just this total preoccupation with food I think there's absolutely justification for making good food choices and all that sort of thing but you know if people 
refusing to eat or, you know, then yeah, I think it's hard for me to give you one example, but anything that a little light bulb goes off and go, you know what, you know, person X, you know, there's some pretty unhealthy behaviors there around what they're doing, you know, and I, but there's some healthy behavior. People who meal prep will be absolutely, absolutely committed yep. to their nutrition yep. and people do that year round. Mm. And, and that's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about almost this feeling of dire consequences if they stray away from that. Like if I have, you know, if I have a meat pie, you know, the world's going to end. It's not. You're going to be okay. Anyway, and the other thing is in this, because I think when it comes to fat loss, you've got three things in your arsenal. Well, maybe four things in your arsenal. You've got nutrition. You've got, I'd probably put supplements under the, the nutrition piece, but mm-hmm. you could probably say nutrition uh, supplements are another sort of weapon in your arsenal. You've got your training. And at the, at the far end of the spectrum, you've got pharmacology and drugs, mm-hmm. right? And so people want to lose fat fast, right? So often they might go to their GP and they might ask for a germine or whatever it might be that will help them, you know, basically just offset hunger and enable them to try and lose fat fast. Run on the treadmill. Well, that's your other option, right? But I but I mean yeah. <laughs> so but but I come back to the, the the tasks that are least impactful on your day. So what might that look like? So it might be, okay, a simple tidying up of your diet. It might be something like following a meal plan with a level of flexibility that make, allows you to choose different foods, which, you know, often, and the good coaches out there will say, okay, Greg, you can have whatever, 200 grams of chicken, or you can have fish, or you can have whatever. Yeah. So you've got a flexibility there that you yeah. can decide. So this, it's not just coach said, I must eat this, 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 and this. So yeah. I, and you know, I think people want some ownership of that. You've got to be in a caloric deficit, right? We've talked about we talked about a fat loss in a in a podcast, right? Yeah, so do. you know, you need to have that caloric deficit. So once you've cleaned up your diet, once you've got your meal plan in place, and you know what you're doing in that regard, then it's about well, cardio is probably the next go to, right? So what I find people will do it's a shotgun approach. They'll go, okay, Monday I'm going to start, and I'm going to turn my life upside down with my meal prepping, and I'm going to do the full tilt with that, and I'm going to do two lots of forty minutes on the treadmill twice a day at the same time, and I'm going to be in the gym five nights a week doing my strength and I'm going to smash some pharmaceuticals or whatever. Like it's yep. it's, a, it's a whole shotgun approach. And I just go, well, two things. One, you have no idea which one of them is actually really helping you. Absolutely. And, and you know, you, you got to think long game with fat loss. I think people, I know it's it's not a sprint, right? People want to lose fat quick, but I'm going to talk about- You didn't put it on overnight. No, you? you didn't put 10 kilos on yeah. overnight, right? So you're not going to lose it overnight either. So mm. that's where I'd say, look, just look for some strategies there because we know, and this goes, this is way back in terms of, what we know about like there's 7200 calories in a kilo of fat right so i always say to people okay let's let's not try and lose 10 kilos in the first week what does that look like so that that looks like a 500 calorie deficit a day to lose half a kilo a week so seven times 500 is 3500 calories if you go into a caloric deficit of 500 calories either in the form of nutrition and exercise or a combination of those so that's only so you know you can bang out if you do 40 minutes on a treadmill walking at six and a half kilometers an hour you'll probably about two 200, maybe 220 calories. And so then, okay, it's pretty easy to, to manipulate a couple of hundred calories out of your diet with, with good food choices. So you do that, 500 calories, you do that seven days a week, or maybe you adjust it so that on one day of the week, you've got a little bit of room to move, then you can you can expect to lose maybe half a kilo a week. Yeah. So you okay, sure enough, it's going to take 10 weeks to lose five kilos, but I keep coming back to this consistency theme, you, you'll get there. And you haven't made a massive change to your life. So there's not massive it's changes, just, This is right? something you can do every day for the yep. rest of your life. 
stuff. Yeah, and, th- and I think that's a, a really you know important thing because, mm. like I said, if you start coming into it saying you've got to turn your life upside down, you've got to do all this crazy stuff, it's not going to work. I always tell people that people keep keep their protein up, and I'm I'm an advocate of high protein diets. You know, I've, me too. I've read a lot. I, I I'm not convinced that you know there's any of this really negative impact with with high protein. So I'm talking 1.5, maybe two two grams per kilo. So on the upper end of the spectrum for males and females around that to at least oh, I'm actually a little bit higher than that, but I think that I thought you would have been. I am, but I thought you were bullshit. I'm being pretty polite. conservative because <laughs> you want to maintain muscle mass, yeah. right? And now people go, you got to keep your muscle because you got to keep your metabolism up, right? Muscle, absolutely yes. Lean muscle mass or lean body mass will have an impact on meta- uh, metabolism, but it's not like 20%. It's it'd be two to three, maybe four mm-hmm. percent. So, but you got to keep muscle, yep. right? It's really important for for everything in life. One of the things that I find with women in particular is underfueling is a huge issue. So, why do you think that is? Well, I think because women are told you've got to drop your calories. Someone came up with this 1200 calorie thing. I don't know where they plucked that from. And then someone else said, you know, you've got to drop. Like I said, I know girls on 800 calories a day. That's just madness to me. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been anyone that came up with 1200 calories a day. I just, just, that's just rubbish to me. I don't, I don't accept that for a minute. Yeah, Harry did um, a podcast on it. Okay, she called. I think it was called the 1200 calorie diet. So one of the things, yeah. Well, so yeah. one of the things we see when women are underfueled, the negative consequences of that are the things that I see a lot around loss of menstrual cycle you know, whole range of issues with hormonal regulation, estrogen, progesterone, the whole works, right? Yep. Now, this is a, there's a bit of a, and it's way off track perhaps, but there's a bit of a misconception that females only lose their menstrual, it's called amenorrhea, they lose their menstrual cycle when they're super lean. That's not true. Okay. It's an it's a fueling thing. So girls will lose their period when they're dramatically underfueled. You don't have to be shredded. You know, you can, you know it's, a, it's a fueling issue. But see, what we see is, it's kind of like, remember, there's a thing called the female athlete triad. Which is in a relationship between menstrual dysfunction, effectively low availability or under low availability of fuel or underfueling. You throw that in with a, a bit of disordered eating that may or may not be a true eating disorder, and then you see problems with bone mineral density. Yeah. And one of the things we see with bone mineral density, there are some periods in life where you have these peak like bone density periods, and one of those periods is in the late teens. Into your, into your early 20s. Now, a lot of girls I see are in their late teens and in their early 20s who are pursuing athletic endeavors, who are calorically restricted, training the house down, haven't had a period in 12 months, and they've They've been, I don't know, oh, misled. Long-term effects of that. Are oh, a huge, dangerous. massively massive dramas with osteoporosis yep. and osteopenic problems later in life, yep. because you've, those periods of like, the only thing that offsets that a little bit in those women is that they strength train, yep. and that'll that'll save them because if you can strength train, you know that'll help a lot with your bone mineral density. Anyway, kind of off track. So one of the things I was talking about was this concept of body fat set point. So unfortunately, you got to choose your mum and dad pretty wisely, right? It'll have a lot to do with where you end up. In Didn't life. have a lot of say in that. No, I know, right? I'm <clears throat> being a little bit facetious but so it's been around since the 1950s so it's not that new and it's effectively the the whole point is around this homeostatic environment that's regulated that regulates our body fat mass so you would have what would be your weight range that you fluctuate between if you just go about 85, your day though, 87 kilos <laughs> now it's a serious question gregory Mate, what, I, I, what would you be like if you didn't if 105 you, 100 to 105 is a happy place for me yeah 50 old but can blow out to 110 113 really easy how high is the highest you've ever been oh i would have been i've I've probably 
tapped 120. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what, what, so you're traveling pretty nicely at the moment. Where are you at the moment? <laughs> what, what are you, you're under 100. <laughs> no, mate, I'm about, no, about 104 and a half oh, or something. Okay. It's a quality 104. Yeah, I don't know about that. But you're what, six foot? How tall six are you? Six foot one. Six one? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a quality. But, mate, I'm going to be honest, like when you, you said earlier about, you know, have a pie, the world won't explode. Mm. I had a pie last week. It was beautiful. And the world, did the world explode? No, I was a happy human. <clears throat> no, but you've mentioned to me how, because you're an, you've been on the keto diet yeah. for and some And I look, time. I, I traditionally go keto unless I've had a big night. The next day I'm yeah. not very good at keto. Yeah. But. And, but you've mentioned to me that. I think when you went off it, you put on a yeah. The ton rebound of was terrible. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that's pretty classic, right? Mm. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But I'm interested. So this fluctuation range because I'm about the same. I fluctuate. I'm five seven, but I'm around one oh. Maybe you're a weapon. Well, I'm yeah. I'm one oh five. Have you seen him lifting the gym? Much. He lifts Thanks, heavy. Gregory, yeah. yeah, but I'm the same. But I've been as high as one twenty three, mm. and then mm. on stage, I only did one bodybuilding comp a long time ago. I was ninety. Mm. So okay. you know, but we've got this set point. Right, that is, uh, and it's really hard to substantiate what that looks like, but it's indicative of a whole range of things genetics, some physiological mechanisms that are very individual, but they're all linked towards adipose tissue. Can you reset that? Yeah, you, you can. can. Well, yes, you can. Yep. And that's, this is what I want to talk about. Okay, because so me jump the it's not easy to reset. It's actually your body will fight against you to keep you in that set point. Now, you can reset it one either high or low. So if you're, if you, let's say that you become obese and you are obese for 10 years. Your body wants to stay obese. Well, thankfully, my BMI says I am. Right. Me too, right? <laughs> oh, it's just, but you know, we know that BMI yeah. is not worth anything, right? So you have this, there is a settling point, which is what you've talked about, yep. which is around the 104, you said, or ballparkish. Yep. Um, and that's where, you know, you just live your, your life day to day, right? So the problem for a lot of people is that they will, they will undertake a diet, they will lose some fat, they'll go off that diet, and their body will fight against them to come back to that set point. Absolutely. And it's, it's really classic. The, the driving mechanism, or one of the key, features associated with this is leptin. Now, it's a really big player in metabolic rate and hunger. Remember, leptin is our satiation hormone. I'll get there eventually, right? So it has an impact on hunger and it will work to maintain that set point against you. So you think in a thermostat in a room, right? An air conditioning unit, you might set it between, we're in Australia, so we'll talk Celsius, but between say 22 and 24 degrees Celsius. Once the room heats up, uh, let's say it heats up to 26 degrees, the, the system kicks in and think of that system as your metabolism kicks in and you will come back down to that set point point. Likewise, if it gets cold in the room, the thing will kick in and heat up, right? So it's working on a thermostat. It's a really oversimplification of it, but that's the basic principle. It's a 101 day? Yeah, that's a 101 day. And so when you think diet, right, let's say you diet. We know we've talked a lot about fat right? Fat cells expand and shrink. They can multiply, but I don't care whoever tells you this, they don't go away. There's only one way to remove fat cells from your body. It's called liposuction and it's an invasive procedure, right? So they shrink and they expand. And we know that they'll expand to about 400% of their size and then they multiply. And we've talked about this. Are you good? We have, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So think diet, fat cells shrink. What happens when fat cells shrink? Leptin drops, right? My hunger goes up, right? So my my metabolic rate will drop as well. My hunger will increase and it's doing that to try and increase my fat mass because I want to stay fat. That's what that's what my body's telling me. Now, when you gain fat, you would like to think that it would work the opposite way, but it doesn't. You're hungry because you're fat. Yep. You're not fat 
fat because you're hungry. Yep. Yeah. And we've talked about that as well. There's a really, there's an interesting study and there's a, there's a, a guy in the nutrition space, Lane Norton. Yep. I don't know if you've heard of Lane. I have. But Lane's got a big profile and he does a really good, I like to give credit where it's due, and he gives a really good overview of a study that was done in rats. But again, let's take it as something that we can learn from. He does a really good overview on, on his YouTube site, actually. I know this is a body science podcast, but- No, prop, mate, he's prop, one of the men. Props like he, to him. Yep. So, yep. But anyway, he talks about this, this study that was done and it's about what's called, you remember we talked about when we talked about fat, we talked about pre-adipocyte proliferation. So when we have fat cells, before a, a fat cell becomes a fat cell, it's called a pre-adipocyte and it will it can have the capacity to differentiate into different types of fat we know yep. white fat brown fat yep etc etc we know we subcutaneous fat we've got visceral fat visceral fats your nasty fat you know that has a lot of comorbidity problems right yep. remember all that okay if people want to listen to our fat podcast we did that some time ago that was early in the yeah. piece i think yeah, yeah. but I, I mean we don't need to go back through that there were these rats right now they weighed about 700 grams they had about 37 million fat cells and the size of their fat cells was about 103 microns now that's not really important right but they put them on a calorically restricted diet. And so the, the rats lost fat. Okay, so they lost about 600 grams of about one, what's that, about a seventh of their body mass. Wow, that's a fair diet. Yep. So their fat cells didn't really change. The number, the total number of fat cells didn't change, right? Because we know yep. fat cells don't change, right? But the size of the fat cells reduced to about 80, 86 microns, okay. right? So they shrunk, yep. which is what you would expect, right? So then what happened was they let the, so the rats are feeling pretty good about themselves, right? You know, they're looking good in the mirror. <laughs> Ready so, for summer? Yeah, they're ready to roll. They're ready to go on the beach. So then what they they allowed the ats the, the rats to to eat ad libitum whenever they wanted, right? Okay. And so they had low leptin, so they were hungry rats, right? So they ripped in and they started to overfeed. Right? What happens? They had end up with what we call a, a high or a positive energy flux. So they had a surplus of calories. Right? What happened? They put on some weight, only about twenty grams. So they went up to about six hundred and twenty grams. But their number of fat cells increased to fifty-five million. So we started at thirty-seven million. Wow. We're now at fifty-five million. Now the size of the fat cell only stayed around eighty microns. Right? So they were little, but there was lots more of them. Yeah. Nearly twenty million more of them. Actually, about thirty percent more fat cells. Right? So They'd only relapsed about 20 grams of their weight. Yep. The size of their fat cells stayed the same, but they increased by actually almost 50%. Millions. Wow. Right? So what had happened was there was this pre-adipocyte differentiation. So the body's gone, okay, whilst we're calorically reduced, we have to, it's almost like primal starvation mode protection. Okay, if you're going to starve me, I'm going to produce more fat cells. So that happened because they, they had an improved ability to store triglycerides, which is fats, right? Okay. So then what happened was they let the fat, the, the rats continue to eat and they continued to do so. Now they did that until they returned to their original weight, which was 700 grams. 700 grams, we got 55 million fat cells now, but they got bigger. So they got, they went up to 94 microns. So each cell got bigger. Yeah. Yep. So we started at 700 grams, 37 million cells. They're about 100 microns. Now we're back to 700 grams, but now we've got 55 million fat cells, but they're back to 94 microns. So at first they multiplied, then they expanded. expanded. Yeah. Nasty. But it gets worse. Okay. Okay. So they're back to their original fat mass, right? Uh, weight, I should say. They're back to their original weight. Now what happens is they didn't stop gaining weight is probably what I'm getting at here. So leptin didn't normalize. So they kept going, right? So they went up to 740 grams right? Because they just kept eating. They ended up at 55 million cells, but they ended up at their original 103 microns, right? So- We're back. They went back to where they started, yeah. but they went back to the start With of the fat cell size. Friends. 
with a heart with 20 million more friends. Wow. Now that happens in, that's what we're talking about in humans. Mm. Well, this is this rebound effect that happens. So that's nasty. Now, because the body defends the size of the fat cells, yep. right? So they kept going until they got to 103 microns. Now that's a really troublesome scenario for anyone who's been on a diet or anyone who's done a comp and been on stage and they binge eat. Yeah, wow. It's it's a big, big problem. Now what I know What period was that over, do you know? Oh uh, I'd have to check. It was months. Months, so it was a long term. Yeah. Well yeah. So it, it was a it, life change. It took some time. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I, Didn't I, happen with one pie on the weekend. No, no, yeah, okay. no, no. I mean they had to yeah no, no. it took several weeks in yep. each stage. But that's all several weeks? Like it wasn't not a year or anything yeah, crazy. Wow. No, no, no. It happened pretty quick. Okay. That in itself, I know it's a rat study, right? But this explains or we can extrapolate the very same same thing in humans. Explains so much. Explains so much, right? Yeah. Your body's going to fight to get back to where you were, right? So we call this. I tell you what, I see. You talked about can you adjust it, and the answer is yeah, you can. I see people who've competed for a number of years. So like, if you see people who get lean and stay lean, and they stay lean for a long period of time, then I, I often find that you'll actually see an entire change in their whole muscle structure and how like their their frame and everything. Now I can't base this on any science, but but my best guess with this is that the way to adjust your set point is to lose an amount of fat, let's say five kilos. The key is you've got to keep it off for at least six months. Six months. I reckon it's six months. It can't like so months. not seven days. Six no, months. No, you got to keep it off for six months. Then you got to lose another five, and then you got to keep that off for six months. Oh, okay. And then you lose Stage another five. It. Yeah, and okay. Then you got to keep that off for six. Wow. That's how you do it. We're if, at eighteen it, months now. That's to lose fifteen kilos. Yeah. Yeah. And reset. Yeah. Yeah. So live happily at fifteen kilos lighter. Yeah. It'll take you nearly two years. Wow. I reckon. Yep. Ballpark. And even then, you know, your body's still going to have the same number of fat cells as when you started. It's got a memory, right? So you can't ever just go back to eating pies every meal because nah. you, you will. And I agree, you can't do that every day. But no, you can't, but you can do it sometimes. Don't panic if you do it yeah. once though, guys. It's, it's a long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually think, you know, and, and one of the reasons people get into so much trouble when they diet is the first thing that goes out the window when you diet is your metabolism, right? So people think your metabolism stays constant. It doesn't. It goes through the floor, right? And I mentioned this before the podcast. A 10% reduction in body mass will drop your meta- metabolism by up to 25%. It's, wow. not, it's, not a, it's not a relative measure. So you might drop your fat mass by 10 kilos or 10%, but you've got to factor in that my metabolism just dropped by double that. Wow. So you've got to keep that in check. I'm a massive Not fan. simple, is it? No, no. It's it, it's commitment, man. You've mm. got to be committed. And that's that consistency word you yeah, used about. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of, if you take it right back to the old Joe Weider back in the days of muscle confusion techniques. So if you want to, if you want to develop muscle mass, you can't do the same workout every day, right? Yep. You just go nowhere. You'll plateau and you, we call it accommodation, right? So I'm a big fan of diet confusion. So you've got to mix it up. That's why I'm a huge advocate of carb cycling because I think if you if you just do you know one approach, let's say you drop your carbs out and you drop your calories out, your metabolism goes metabolism goes through the floor, and you will. You know, I use the, the coal station example, right? If you're if, if you're if you're burning 2,000 calories a day, for example, and you only give your body 1,200 calories a day, it can't burn 2,000 calories because you're only given it 1,200. So the mechanisms, you know, mitochondrial function and efficiency will drop to 1,200 calories a day. It'll actually drop below that. Okay. So then what happens is you get off your diet and you go back to 2,000 calories a day. Your system can't handle that, right? So that's called a surplus. Yep. What am I going to do with surplus? I'm going to store it as fat, right? And so you'll rebound every time from that. So, but but if you have this, if you don't allow your body to adapt, right, it won't. So if you if you've got carb cycling throughout your day and you've got high, moderate, low days and that sort of thing, then your body will be in this constant. I mean, I'm oversimplifying this hugely. This is this diet confusion thing that I like, and whereby I'm not exposing my 
body to one approach for an extended period of time so that it accommodates. Yep. So I'm constantly mixing it up. And I think I think that's kind of something that might be, you know, maybe someone listening to this goes, you know what, that, that might be a decent idea. I'm still staying within my caloric plan. I'm yep. still staying on my meal plan, but I'm going to modify, you know, maybe a low, and a lot of people know exactly what I'm talking about here, a low carb day where you feel shitty, yep. right? And then you, you might cycle your heart, high carb day around your legs workout yep. or your, your full body workout or your big hit session. And then you've got another day where it's, I don't know, smaller muscle group or something like that. So you're doing less cardio, whatever it might be. So then you have your moderate carb day and you just cycle like that. Classic muscle confusion. Anyway, that's that's part of body fat set point. Comes back to um, two terms, metabolic readjustment and adaptive thermogenesis. They're the two things really trendy. Everyone's talking about them at the moment. And I, I know I'm rambling on a fair bit, but I just want to cover off on a couple of things. I want to talk about leptin. I want to talk about, and I want to talk, talk about thyroid hormones. So the metabolic readjustment side of thing is just, is just the pushback point. This is just the body goes, you know what? I've reached a pushback point where I'm not going to lose any more body fat. I'm going to, you know, and I see this all the time where people drop their calories lower nothing happens. They do more cardio, cardio yeah. nothing happens. It's called, you know, it's your pushback point. And you know you've got metabolic damage or you know you're in trouble when you've got no energy, no enthusiasm, you're at a weight loss plateau. If you're a female, you're a menorrheic. You say you've got no period. Your estrogen's in the floor. So you've got risk factors for OP later in life. You're underactive or you've got your th- your T3, T4, so your thyroid hormones are down. I've got no libido, low testosterone in men and women. My sleep's terrible. I can't get to sleep and then I've got disrupted sleep. I've got elevated ghrelin, so I'm hungry all the time and I've got low leptin because my fat my fat stores are low. So nothing's switching off my hunger thing. So I'm hungry all the time. I can't sleep. I can't train. I've got no sex drive. Life's not good. No, right? that's not a good life. <laughs> anyway, so that tells me that you're metabolically compromised. And so the other thing that drops there is your performance. So your workouts start to go through the floor. You start to lose muscle mass you're irritable you know, start lose friends too. Yep, and then everything starts to look like a hamburger. You know, you get a preoccupation with food. You know, you know the old Pavlov's dog. You start to salivate every time you drive past the Maccas. Anyway, so because that's the strategy, right? When you're metabolically compromised, your coach says, "Well, sorry, it's more cardio and it's less cals." And you go, "Please, well, how much sense. lower can we go?" Yeah. You know, and this is what I see in bodybuilding all the time. And you end up people lose a ton of muscle to get on stage. Anyway, I'm kind of all over the place, but so that's that's what you keep in the back of your mind, right? You go. Okay. So what are you doing in that? Instance? Well, this is what you, you know what you got to do. You got to have more calories. So the key to the amenorrhaic position is adequate fueling, right? You've, Get some fat in your life. Yep. Like you can't, you know, this is the thing, you know, you, you can't be on stage peeled year round and expect to sort of not have some consequences as a female. You're not supposed to be 8% body fat as a female, unfortunately, although you might want to be, you know, in that sort of shape. That's pretty low. The, the secret <coughs> or the, the answer is refuel. Yep. Get some get some calories in your diet. Get some fat in your diet. Get some carbs in your diet. Now, that doesn't mean throw everything out the window and go back to just eating whatever you want. No. That's back to carb cycling. That's back Back to you know having a plan around that, and that that's that's a really important you know piece to it. The adaptive thermogenesis, and I've talked about this. If you lose, I said this before. If you lose ten percent of your of your body mass or body weight, you you can expect to see a, a substantial drop, like 25 percent, in your energy expenditure over twenty four hours. So one of the things that plays a big role in this is leptin, and we've talked about leptin a fair bit. Now leptin we know comes from fat cells, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a direct relationship. Let's call it a correlation between. It's not really more more of a causation than a correlation but there's a direct relationship between how many how big your fat cells are not how many how big your fat cells are and leptin and when you lose fat you know you have an impact on leptin simple as that so the thing that I'll come back to leptin in a minute but I want to so thyroid function right so a lot of a lot of females are really in this space right they're like my thyroid hormones 
are all over the shop. What do I do about it, right? And so we know thyroid hormone increases energy expenditure. We know that it plays a role in heart rate, blood pressure, muscle ATP consumption, the whole works, right? So thyroid hormone, people who are deficient, they're hypertensive, they're lethargic wow. generally. They tend to gain weight while a hyper or a high thyroid patient or person is going to be the opposite. They're going to be hypertensive. Now, thyroid gland produces mainly thyroxine, which is your T4. Mm -hmm. Everyone probably familiar with that term. Now, it's got a pretty low biological activity. When the body removes one of the outer rings of iodine with, it doesn't matter about this, but T4 is modified to its active form, which is T3 effectively. Now, that increases thyroid hormone activity. T3 has about a hundredfold uh, greater affinity for thyroid receptors, thyroid hormone receptors than T4. So it's a really critical step. And it's actually catalyzed by a couple of idothione, uh, thyronine deiodases, which are just enzymes, D1, D2. So they have a, a role in the conversion of T3 to another one. There's a T2 that exists and converting T4 to what's called reverse T3. Now that's all pretty involved, but weight loss and the maintenance of reduced body weight are associated with decreased circulating levels of T3 and increased circulating levels of reverse T3. Reverse T3 is a bio-inactive form of thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't play it like it's not it's an inactive form. So what that means is that a lot of the weight loss results are increased by peripheral conversion. What we want is the conversion of T4 to T3 actively, right? So thyroid releasing hormone, we call it TRH, it's stimulated pituitary thyroid by the thyroid stimulating hormone. Now, just caloric restriction on its own won't have a big impact on that. Okay. It's it's pretty consistent with that. But T3 regulates a couple of pathways. One's we've talked about this, it's called the rampamycin pathway, which is your mTOR pathway, and then there's another one it's called an uncoupling two protein it's a ucp2 happens in the hypothalamus it's actually the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus we call it the arc and it, it modulates thermogenic programming actually in brown fat tissue and we've talked a lot about brown fat brown fat's got high mitochondrial density that's why it's brown that's actually beige fat that's high in mitochondria anyway it does that via an enzyme called ampk which a lot of people will be familiar it's called the amp activated protein kinase now that all happens in another part of the hypothalamus called the ventromedial nucleus doesn't really matter. It's in your hypothalamus, which is why it's really important. Now, when we get changes in that, well, put it this way. When we get a, a lack of an increase in thyroid stimulating hormone with weight loss, we often see no real change in circulating concentrations of T3. What does that mean? It means that leptin, I'll come back to leptin. So leptin, when leptin is low, when we we have a low satiety. I can yep. never say that word, satiety. We're hungry, yep. right? So low leptin reduces a couple of things. I won't get too deep in the weeds, but it, it reduces a number of mechanisms within the hypothalamus that then kick in some way to overcome that because the body's trying to, to work towards getting fat again really fundamentally. And I've talked about thermogenesis and non-shivering thermogenesis and shivering thermogenesis. If anyone wants to talk about that, just go and listen to the previous podcast. And it, it, it's a brown, it's it's got to do with how many mitochondria. Was that the hacks? Was that no, that was hacks? Uh, or... Yeah, that was in one of the recovery ones. Yeah. yeah. Sleeping nude with the windows open. That's right. You yeah. remember that? I do. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Tough way to lose weight. 100%. Especially when taking on leptin all day. Yeah. So what we want is this active T3. All right. So moderate weight loss from caloric restriction will result in a drop, often with a drop in T3, but it doesn't affect any other hormones within the thyroid family as much. So I guess what I'm saying, and I hope I haven't lost anyone too much, it's really complicated in terms, it's not just about caloric restriction. There's a whole range of variables that have to do with fat mass that have a downstream effect on hypothalamic function. And that has a function, uh, also have a role on thyroid function as well. High cortisol, right? High stress hormones like cortisol will decrease the conversion of T4 to T3. 
Okay. Right? That's a problem, yeah. right? And so, but what cortisol will also do is increase the conversion of T4 to reverse T3, which is inactive T3. What does that mean? It means that overall, by decreasing thyroid hormone production, cortisol will have uh, almost like a blocking effect on our ability, on our metabolism, and it'll block our ability to burn fat. Okay. And that's on the back of what it does to T3 and T4. Yep. I, I kind of can sum it up like that. It's a good cortisol podcast too. For yeah, we did the one. Yeah. yeah. Nasty. Yeah. It's it, tough. It's, a, it's pretty pretty nasty. So leptin is a big player, right? Because leptin has a role on uh, energy balance effectively. So plasma leptin levels increase with weight gain and they decrease with weight loss or fat loss specifically. And so there is this really direct relationship between leptin levels and adipose tissue and how much the size of a store the amount of body fat. Leptin has a recept- have recept- has receptors in the hypothalamus to inhibit hunger, basically, and stimulate satiety. So when we when we don't have that, or when we when we have a drop in our body fat, the leptin levels will continue to work to make us hungry, basically, yeah. right? And we're coming back to that set point, which is some people call it an adipostat. So it's like a fat thermostat. And so there's a couple of other really complicated pathways called the pre-OPO melanocortin, which is a POMC. And then there's another one called a uh, melanocyte stimulating hormone. doesn't really matter. But what they do is they will also play a role in appetite control and energy homeostasis. If it glazed over. Yeah. Anyway. Mate, you're digging deep then. Well, there's two things. Leptin. Okay. In the lateral hypothalamus, hypothalamus, leptin will inhibit hunger. Yep. Right, and it does that through a, th- a few things. It affects the thing affects the thing called neuropeptide Y. I don't know if you've we've yeah, heard about. We've it. talked, we talked about, about that. that. Yeah. Neuropeptide Y is interesting because it synthesis it synthesis and releases regulated by leptin, insulin, glucocorticoids like cortisol and ghrelin. Neuropeptide Y drives hunger. Yep. Simple as that. In the medial hypothalamus, leptin <laughs> stimulates satiety. Yeah. Right. So it inhibits hunger and tells us we're not hungry anymore. So anyway, so there's a couple of things there that are, are a key for us. Uh, kind of circling back to the whole conversation. There's a number of other variables that affect. You could probably um, talk for days. Yeah, and I, I kind of don't want to get too lost in it. But yeah, this was a simple one. Well, yeah. So <laughs> we, let's bring it right back, right? Yeah. So if we bring it back to the consistency piece, we bring it back to you know information is power. Absolutely. So we can you know there, there's what I would say to people who are struggling is if you can just get consistency across what you're doing. A lot of people think they've got thyroid problems and may or may not have that. And yep. and one of the things that anyone who knows anything about hormones will tell you that it's not a single snapshot of one hormone that is important. Absolutely. It is the interaction of hormones. Yep. And so where you can get good information from educated people who can give you that profile. Now, And if, what is an educated person oh, in that profile? It's got to be. What are they? Well, they've got to be medicos. Yep. Uh, like I know there's a lot of people out there in the industry who have good knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sort of suggest they shouldn't, but you know, the reality is that personal trainers aren't trained how to read blood tests. Mm-hmm. And they're not hormonal specialists, right? They can have a working knowledge of these things. Absolutely. But if you want, if you want an accurate determination, and if you want to be able to do something about it, you need you need medicos yep. or people with PhDs in the area who are you know absolutely got yep. specialised sort of knowledge about it. And that's not I'm definitely not trying to belittle anyone because they might be able to flag something like your PT. And that's really important. Yeah, they yeah. they the red flag and they'll go look. Absolutely. The important thing is about scope of practice, right? And they'll go, I may not know the answer here. This is the thing. you got an, I know when I don't know the answer and I'll say, I don't know the answer. You need to go and talk to Greg Young because he'll know. 
Whereas not everyone wants to do that because we all want to think, you know, come across to our clients like we know everything. You don't have to be like that. I mean, you want to be part of a, I always think of myself as part of a, a group of multidisciplinary experts who if I don't know, the key for me is to know who I can ask. Absolutely. That's a big key. Yeah. And yep. so that's where you want good information because like I said, a lot of girls out there think they've got thyroid problems. They may or may not, mm. you know, they may, in which case if they genuinely do, you want to know about it because they, you know, you want to be able to manage that appropriately. What are they testing for if they believe they do have? Oh, they'll look at the whole profile. T3, oh. T4, reverse T3, yep. TSH, the whole works. Yep. Yeah. But but then look into- Well, GP- do yeah, all those? Sure. They'll, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, you know, and then I'm into the the reproductive hormones, but not from a reproductive perspective, but around estrogen, progesterone, you know, androgen profile in females and their testosterone levels, growth hormone levels, IGF one, all that stuff. Yeah, you want you want to you want to get as much information as you possibly can. If you're a trained female who's been in that world for a long time, and particularly any females that might have taken you know performance enhancing substances, because uh, it's pretty common, right? Like, you know, no idea. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's. Pretty I know common. what you're talking about. Well, you know, and well, we don't. <laughs> go there because it's sort of beyond what we're talking about here but you know we can't be that naive to think that no, exactly. it doesn't happen right so but if you're a female and you've been taking you know thyroxine to get on stage and you've done four four comps in a year and you've mixed that in with you know your clenbuterols and everything else in the world and your growth hormones and your IGF-1s you can be pretty sure that there's been some adaptation that's occurred and you really do want to know about that because if you the, there's a lot of things in life in your human body that are forgiving your thyroid isn't one mm. And that would be my sort of precautionary tale or cautionary tale to anyone in this space. It's like male bodybuilders taking insulin. Yep. Your pancreas isn't that forgiving mm. and your thyroid is less forgiving. And if you damage your thyroid, it's damaged for life. And so you've got to be really careful with that stuff. And, you know, anyway, so consistency, preparation, planning, you know, hopefully we covered off on that fat set point thing and gave people some understanding about that. How do you overcome that? You overcome that by reverse dieting. You know, so the reverse dieting piece is really common. And there's a couple of different strategies around that. Some people, again, I mentioned Lane Norton, there's a couple of other people that have you know, taken hold of that because what people have traditionally done is done a comp or a challenge, got to the end of it, and it, you know, binge eating, and you end up fat, yep. right? Um, fatter, yeah. Yep. You just we've already talked about you've you've now got more fat cells, so you're going to put yourself in a bad position anyway. So hopefully that's of some value mm. to people. I've kind of went on for a fair while, but oh mate, that's it's, um, that was that was interesting. I mean, I probably would like to close off with a little strategy for people who aren't competition. Yeah. Athletes, like somebody who just wants to lose 10 kilos because the doctor said you should lose 10 kilos. Like, yeah. So obviously for, the same thing, start with consistency. Yeah, it starts with consistency. Again, it comes back to the, the same things in your arsenal. You've got your nutrition, you've got some supplementation you can work with, You've got and you've got your training. They're, yep. your, they're your three go-tos. Like I said, for me, it's about the least most invasive issues that you can bring yep. to your day. And it might be something as subtle as, you know, removing we talked about some egg yolks yeah. or whatever it might be it might be less sauce on your food yep. it might be don't sprinkle sugar all over what you eat you know like yeah, it, it can be sugar out of your coffee whatever it might yeah, be you things, know yeah. little things they'll have a big impact yep. and but we come down to this you know realistically if you want to lose fat and keep it off you've got to lose it and keep it off so this fluctuation of body weight is what you've got to try and avoid big thing i took was lose it reset yourself six months and go again new goal go again yeah yeah yep. 
Nice. And and then if you because if in that six months those habits well those behaviours that you've implemented become habits mm. and once it's a habit you don't even think about it anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's easy then for you to maintain. It's only you know a problem if it's twenty different things that is a huge task for you to implement and then you know well, that's you, like any project or any job or anything you yeah. do you know you just want to remove the remove the room for error. Exactly. Like you know if it's if it's just a subtle change in your diet and you're already training. This is the other thing I, and I probably should mention this. Is one of the things I see with girls who they might be amenorrheic, amenorrheic, right? So, but they go, no, I'm eating, I'm eating pretty well. Like I'm having two and a half thousand calories a day, right? And I'm going, but yeah, but you're doing a thousand cals in exercise. You know, you're still doing four hours a day on the treaty. That's the same thing. Yeah. You know, so often, and this is the mind challenge for people. It's okay. I'm terrified of putting on weight. So, you know, they don't want to put on weight, but they want to get their hormones back to normal. You can't always have it both ways. Yeah. So I'm not talking about putting on 10 kilos of fat it might be it might be one or two kilos that you know hardly noticeable yep. you don't have veins in your abs anymore but you're probably not supposed to you know most of the year it's not just the diet it's the nutrition and it's the training and you know and and use supplements use the you know use the thermogenics use yep. things like that you know because you can do them around the clock there's no mm. problem nice all right mate that was um that was good that was uh why people struggle to lose fat 101 cool i would hate to hear the advanced one i'd probably have to have google open to do that We'll probably take the thyroid stuff out of it. Uh, no, that's it. No, it's staying in, mate. That's all really interesting stuff for us to talk about. We've got a plan coming out soon, mybodyscience.com.au. It's uh, developed by dietitians and nutritionists working together. The nutritionists took that at the end because there's a few things I wanted to add to it. I love my dietitians though. Yes. But there's uh, food swaps, all types of things, tells yeah, you calories, cool. gives you your basic macros, and it's free. Get on board. Awesome.